everybody, and welcome to a very special edition, a year-end edition of the Sportscaster and Her Son podcast. This is where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster from NBC Chicago for 17 years. I am the baby boomer. Now I'm Jason Canander, freshman at UT Austin, Generation Z, and yeah. That's about it? Yeah. Okay, so listen, in this episode, we decided to do an ad-free special to end 2020. We are recording this before many moves have been made at the end of the seasons, uh, especially with the Bears. So keep that in mind as we look ahead to 2021. The year 2020 in sports, Jason, oh my gosh, it is the year that sports was put on pause Unlike anything that any of us have ever been through, your thoughts looking back on 2020. What a crazy, weird year of sports. You know, it started off very good with the NFL playoffs and with the Super Bowl. Very exciting between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Looked like we were in store for a very exciting March Madness, considering that there was no clear number one team in the country. Obviously, the pandemic flushed out any hopes of an NCAA tournament. But And then there was a layoff. It was really no sports from the middle of March until the end of July. And when sports came back, they really did come back. The 60-game. MLB season was very exciting. It was weird with no fans and with the seven-inning doubleheaders and all the different rule changes, but it was very exciting, especially um, if you were a Chicago baseball fan. The NBA came back in the bubble. The Los Angeles Lakers won the the uh, NBA Finals in a very exciting NBA playoffs. Uh, hockey came back. They did their own bubble in Canada. That was very exciting. And then college football season has went very well. There have been some teams that have been hit harder by COVID than others, but generally it's been a somewhat normal season with the um, exception of conference play. College basketball is back now. So 2020 started out very, very rough in the uh, sports department, but I think that everybody has been very pleased with how things have went since the end of July. There's There's been no short of action, no shortage of games, no shortage of storylines, and it's been a very weird but memorable and unforgettable year of sports. No matter the sport, it was affected. And in the end, some played, some did not. So in this special edition, Girls in the Game is a nonprofit in Chicago that serves girls with leadership sports and health programming. A fundraising panel of Chicago sports team representatives came together in the winter of 2020 to talk about putting their sports on in the pandemic and what we might expect in the coming year 2021. So in a salute to the year-ender for our podcast, we bring you the sports pandemic as brought to you by Girls in the Game. I think we're ready to get started. So welcome, everybody. I am Megan Morgan. I'm the executive director of Girls in the Game, and I'm so excited that so many people could join us tonight um, for our Chicago Sports in the Pandemic panel. Um, As you know, this event benefits Girls in the Game, and I know some of you are already familiar with Girls in the Game, but for those of you that are not, we are an organization that does sports, health, and leadership programs for girls. We work with girls in underserved communities trying to help build their leadership skills using sports as a way to do that. Um, And like all organizations, you know, when COVID hit, we really had to shift what we were doing, um, you know, and try to find ways to connect with girls when we couldn't be together in person. So as I was thinking about the panel tonight, I was thinking it's really not that different than what all these sports teams had to do, you know, try to figure out how to connect with fans 
when fans could not be at the games in person. So personally, I'm very excited to hear what everyone has to say tonight. Um, thank you everyone for attending. A special thanks to our panelists um, and a big special thanks to Peggy Kaczynski, our moderator for tonight. Um, Peggy, most of you know, Chicago sportscaster and podcast host, and most importantly, a board member of Girls in the Game. Um, Peggy, thank you for everything you did to put this together, and I will hand it over to you. Thank you, Megan. Hi, everybody. This is a really fun night that we have in store for you. Uh, thank you for still showing your support to Girls in the Game. Just like the teams that we are going to be speaking with tonight, Girls in the Game has had to kind of pivot as how we run our programming, as well as how we raise money to run those programs. We have not stopped during the pandemic, and uh, it's been a challenge for everybody. So thank you for continuing your support with us. So last night, college basketball tipped off, and actually this past week they did, with no fans and with 40 teams already quarantining due to COVID outbreaks. This has been an unprecedented time in the sports industry. Thousands of lives have been lost, as we know, to the coronavirus, and hundreds of millions of dollars has been lost as well in the sports industry alone. It was last March when the country started shutting down just before March Madness, during spring training, during an NHL season, and what was almost unthinkable actually happened. Sports actually was put on hold. There was no shining moment, no cutting down the nets, and all the other leagues had to figure out how could they possibly play games. I remember I was hosting a podcast with my son and one of the questions we asked was, how can they possibly host any sports during this pandemic? There's no way that the seasons will be able to go on. And lo and behold, they have. They've put a lot of thought into it, a lot of money into it, a lot of research into it. And it has been pretty remarkable. It saved a lot of people's mental health being able to watch games again. So we wanted to reach out to some of our Chicago sports teams and get some insight into exactly how they did it and possibly what should we expect next season. So allow me to introduce our panelists that are joining us tonight. And if you have any question for our panelists, please feel free to use the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen and the Girls in the Game staff will then take the questions and pass them along to me. So. Without further ado, let's introduce our panelists who have been so kind and supportive with their teams, with Girls in the Game, and in their time to join us tonight. I begin with the owner of the Chicago Cubs, Tom Ricketts is joining us. Blackhawks interim president, Danny Wirtz is joining us. Bears director of sports science, Jen Gibson joins us as well. Terry Savaris from the Chicago White Sox, Senior Vice President, Ballpark Operations, and Executive Vice President, COO of the United Center as well, and Chicago Sky owner, Michael Alter. Lady and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Let me begin with the shutdown. It started in March. Tom Ricketts, baseball was in spring training. Can you even tell us what that was like when you learned that the sport was shutting down and not knowing when you were going to be playing baseball again? Uh, yeah, it was really, really tough 
first of all, uh, it's great to be here, Peggy. Thank you for inviting me. Um, we've supported girls in the game for uh, 20 years, at least at the Cubs. And uh, obviously believe in everything that you're doing for, uh, for all the, for all the kids in our city. But um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rough. Um, you know, unlike maybe basketball or hockey where they got to at least play two thirds of their season or three fourths of their season, baseball was just a couple of weeks away from, from launching. And um, you know, we didn't, no one knew what was really happening. No, no one knew how long it would take. Do we, are we going to miss April? Are we going to miss May? Like, are we going to bring fans back? You know, like everybody kind of had these pretty optimistic assumptions about what was going to happen next. Um, but I give, you know, I give our, uh, I give our league and, and the players credit for kind of hacking out a little bit of an understanding and, and an arrangement early. Um, that took us a while to get back on the field and there was a lot of back and forth over the course of the summer, but, uh, but it was, it was tough for teams. I mean, we, we have all of our expenses that we paid up through that point. Um, you know, we sold all of our tickets, you know, we had to figure out that, that mess. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that, you know, over the, over the course of the season, we got to play enough games to have playoffs and, and move on. And hopefully we'll have people back in the park earlier this year. And uh, hopefully uh, it'll be a much more normal season. Yeah, we'll get back to that with this uh, coming season. Terry Severis from the Chicago White Sox and the United Center. Terry, boy, you guys were getting ready for opening day as well, with the White Sox being at their spring training. You also had the Blackhawks as well with uh, games at the United Center. What was the madness like for for you trying to balance what both teams were going to be able to do in that near future? Well, it's, it's interesting. Danny probably remembers uh, we got the word that um, the NBA were shutting down. We were in the middle of a sold out Blackhawk game and the atmosphere was almost surreal in the building that night. As you walk through the building, you almost felt something was happening. We were getting word that something was going on in Utah, that one player, then possibly a second player had tested positive. At that point, we knew, hey, um, this wasn't going to go on the way that, that, that it has, and we were going to be faced with, uh, with an adjustment. So we had to gear two teams down um, and try to keep some sort of um, idea in mind as to you know, what would be happening in, in some sort of a postseason format, because you know, as, as Mr. Ricketts had said, we had got through you know, a, a decent amount of our season. While at the same time doing the same thing that the Cubs did, we have to, you know, sh- begin to gear down spring training, shut down the ballpark and, and what have you. I always try to look at positive things. Um, if you can find something positive and something as, 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 as tragic as, as, as most of this year has been, um, I'd say I'm going on my 40th year um, in, um, in professional sports, um, 39 of them with, uh, you know, with, with, with Mr. Reinsdorf and, and, and his group. Um, I've never seen in all my years the amount of, of togetherness from, from a league standpoint, players, ownership, the staffs, everybody really just rolled up their sleeves and started saying, hey, how, how can we get this done? And the, the, the no wasn't necessarily an answer. It was a sort of a detour in the road. If you ran into a no, you said, okay, so what, what else do we have to do there? And a lot of credit to, you know, to the owners from the beginning for believing in those of us who, who do the day-to-day for them. And saying, hey, they can do this. A lot of credits players and staff for towing the line, having to, they're the ones that had to live this. Um, and, you know, they're the ones who are, who are most at risk. And a, a lot of credit to the, the day-to-day staff and all of our ballparks. Um, and we'll be faced with the same thing going into our arenas um, this, this fall and winter. They'll be faced with the same exact challenges we had on, on the baseball side. And 
I'm, I'm hoping that uh, and counting on this group to meet those same challenges the way they were met in baseball. Gary, I do want to get back to that in a second about um, the changes you've had to make to the stadiums and, and um, the arenas, but let's bring in the Blackhawks interim president, Danny Wirtz. Did your heart drop when they said no games were put on pause, not knowing, um, I mean, your, your financial income, it was coming in, you had games going on, and then everything came to a, a screeching halt. Take us through what happened. Yeah. So, you know, with the last game, you know, it created a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Um, as, as it continued, we knew that we weren't probably going to see the, the return of the sport anytime soon. And, and we were a team that was outside the playoffs. So we were kind of in this bubble where, you know, we, we could have maybe made a run for it and squeaked in the playoffs or not. And so it really became a, a game of waiting really through the early part of the summer for the league to come to an agreement with the players around a format for how we could potentially salvage this tail end of the season and the Stanley cup playoff. So uh, it was, it was quite a unique time for the organization. We also made a major, you know, leadership change and I assume the role in early May. So, um, you know, no better time to jump into the seat during a global pandemic. So it was a, a pretty surreal time just getting my arms around the organization while also trying to navigate how we would eventually return to play, which ended up being obviously later in the summer. You know, Terry brought up how um, everyone came together in the sports um, to to just try to figure out what could be done. Michael, I want to ask you because the WNBA really came together during the pandemic. It, it it was maybe it was because everybody was together in the wobble. Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a crazy ride, as everybody else has uh, <laughs> has noted. Uh, we had, I, I think, it was an advantage, although it had its challenges too. The fact that our season had not yet begun. Uh, so in some ways we, we, we had a blank slate as to what that, trying to figure out what the season was gonna look like. How, how long was it gonna be? When was it gonna be? Where was it gonna be? How was it gonna be? Uh, I think the other advantage I thought that we had too is we were the smallest of all the leagues. So from a public health point of view, I think you know, we, we quickly sort of honed in on the fact that we can, even early in March when the NBA shut down, um, you know, some of us felt, you know, we can still do this because we can create a bubble. It's, you know, it's doable. I think, you know, it's, I think we had like 400 people or so, you know, all included. So it's, it was manageable. Um, you know, having said that, the logistics of pulling it off and finding a location and getting everyone comfortable that it would be safe and, and uh, um, that it would be, I don't want to say fun, but in, uh, tolerable <laughs> for the players mm -hmm. and for the refs and coaches and everyone who had to live there for three months with no visitors and no ability to leave, you know, was, was a big ask, but, uh, and then, you know, to add it on, uh, you know, we, at the same time as we were gearing up to go, we had the, the George Floyd stuff and all these other external things that, that became a, a very huge part of um, defining our season. And we had to quickly integrate that into uh, what, the, the league was going to look like, you know, at the same time, players were reluctant to participate or trying to figure out how they would participate. That added a whole nother level of complexity and, uh, 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 and interest to the, to the whole thing. So it was, uh, it was something. Jen Gibson, director of sports science for the bears. Boy, football is one sport that could not go to a bubble with the large size of the rosters 
Um, the, the numbers that travel in a traveling party for an NFL game, um, your job changed a lot, I would say, um, yep. once the protocols were put in place. Um, there's a very interesting YouTube video that the team put out uh, explaining the protocols at the NFL. If you could just touch on a couple of them that help you guys now on this day-to-day, um, because, I mean, I know you you didn't get home until after 2 in the morning after last night's Bears game. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that Coach Nagy and the others get phone calls at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning whenever test results come back. So take us through what the protocols are like, maybe a, an abridged version. Sure. Well, right now, what we do on a daily basis is um, everybody is tested every day. So we have our um, our PCR testing that happens before you can even enter the building. Everyone has to fill out a, um, a daily questionnaire. And then as soon as they enter the building, there's a temperature check. So you aren't allowed in the building in, unless you've tested and um, done those steps. Um, once you enter the building, everybody receives a, uh, a contact tracing device um, from a company called Connexon. And essentially, you are mandated to wear that device the entire time that you're in the building. Um, and then that basically tracks everywhere you go. And if you're um, too close to an individual, if you're within six feet of an individual, it actually starts to flash red. Um, and we've had an evolution of who's allowed in the building in terms of tiers and essential employees. But um, at one point in time, if, if you were to actually interact with somebody who was a non-tier one or tier two um, staff, the, the device would actually be an alarm would beep so that you would distance yourself from them. Um, and essentially our, everything about our, our facility is just, uh, we call it fewer and farther. So um, our cafeterias is, is plexiglassed, um, grab and go style eating. All of the seating is, we're actually, we've actually done a great job at, at doubling our distance. So we're, we're 12 feet apart everywhere you go. Our players are meeting in our indoor and um, really, really spaced out. Um, relative to the way they used to meet, which was in smaller meeting rooms. And um, pretty much every facet of our organization has changed um, from the locker room to our treatment room um, in terms of protocols. Obviously, we all have to wear masks. Um, The league has also um, been monitoring our our, um, in-house cameras to, to make sure that we're adhering to models as well. And as you've seen in the media, um, when we travel, we were already, I always joke around and tell people when we travel, it's like, it's, it's like we're planning a wedding every time we go away. Cause there's, you know, 150 people and we have a hotel and conference rooms and meeting spaces. And, uh, that's actually really, um, decreased in, in the number of people who travel, but increased in the amount of logistics, um, because we're doing social distancing on our buses. So I think we're up to 11 buses that we travel with now. And two planes sometimes, depending on on the logistics of the flight. So, for example, we had two planes going to Green Bay for a you know thirty five minute flight, um, mm. and and so we're really really trying to um, exa- go back to that mantra of fewer and farther. So fewer people together and farther space in between us. So yeah, the logistics have certainly um, changed, um, and we've definitely entered a different season than I've been exposed to over the years, of course. 
And I know you're, because you are in the season right now, there's not a lot that you can talk about with players that, that do test positive. So I do want to talk to some of the other teams whose players have spoken publicly after they tested positive. And um, Danny, can you talk about what it does to the front office? Um, for instance, when Corey Crawford, your starting goaltender at the time, tests positive. And all of a sudden, you're without your starting goaltender looking at a potential run for a playoff. What does that do to the front office? And is there any kind of flexibility at that point? Well, I mean, I think the good thing in sports for, for all of the teams really is that you're, you're always prepared for the, the you know, unpredictability of things. So, you know, especially the goaltending position, you know, it's like any other injury. So obviously, we were first concerned that that he was going to be okay and that he would recover from the COVID <clears throat> illness. And then secondly, it was just our, 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 our backup plan. And we, we thankfully had uh, two uh, good backups that were ready to go. And as it turned out, the way the calendar worked, uh, Corey was able to, you know, recover from, from COVID, uh, get back on the ice and, and miraculously get back in net uh, as the playoffs started. So it ended up working out great, but like anything, you know, we always have our backup plans. We have our contingencies. So, you know, if there ever was a time to remain agile as a business and as an organization, you just have to in this environment, knowing that, you know, you can get news like that at any time and you need to both care for the player as well as adjust your, your plans. Forgive me for not knowing this. Did the NHL allow any expanded rosters or, you know, like they do with the NFL? I mean, they have 42 and 44 year old quarterbacks on some of the practice squads as a, an emergency. Um, did the NHL do the same thing? Allow expanded rosters for that? Yeah, well, actually, for for all the playoffs, they usually what we call the black aces. So we bring, mm -hmm. you know, another eight to 10 players that are, are younger uh, prospects along with us. So they are all in the bubble in Edmonton as well. So we had plenty of depth that thank God we, we did not have to tap into as a, there was no cases for the Blackhawks in the bubble or any of the NHL teams. Michael Alter, you had a couple of um, the women tested positive uh, for the Chicago Sky, and one of them was a newly signed free agent that I don't even think you guys got a look at yet, and the other one was your starting center. What did that do to the roster, and what did that do to the front office as well, having to deal with that? As Danny said, I think first and foremost, you're worried about their well-being, and that was especially true with Stephanie, who got it fairly early, I think early April, when we're all still trying to figure out what this thing is and what does this mean and how serious is it going to be. Uh, and actually her mom got really sick. Her mom was a nurse. Um, that's probably how Stephanie got it and was actually hospitalized. So, um, so, you know, it, it was kind of scary. Um, and then with uh, the player you're referring to is Sidney Colson. Yeah. I mean, with the, one of the tough things with the bubble is if you tested positive, you were not obviously allowed in the bubble and they were understandably rightfully so, very strict about the time frames and the testing that had to go on before you could get to the bubble. So she was actually mod modestly sick for a while, but then had recovered and had no symptoms, but still could not get a positive test after um, maybe a week or two, I think, after she was, all her symptoms had gone. So as a result of that, and then a couple of weeks, she had to quarantine before coming to the bubble. There was, I don't remember exactly, but it was three or four weeks of time that even when she got better, that we were unable to um so it was really hard because um we couldn't just bring in another player because the rules didn't allow it because of the quarantining time anybody would have to be at least two weeks i think before they can even come in even if we wanted to secondly we didn't know you couldn't predict how long it was going to be so you didn't know if it was going to be three days a week or two it was really hard to so it was just part of the craziness of 
what we're all dealing with these days. And then the last thing I would just say with, with Emma's, um, you know, the recovery from that um, is, is tough too. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, Stephanie Dolson had, um, had a tough season. I think in large part, it had to do that she never fully physically recovered from, from the COVID and was kind of fighting it the whole way, getting back into, you know, the kind of shape that she needed to be in. So, you know, that, that's the, there's the lingering effects of it. You know, we're still there too. Terry, we saw that with the White Sox when Yoan Moncada had tested uh, positive. And when he came back, he talked about that, how he he didn't feel right. And it was hard for him to get back into full shape. What happens in the clubhouse uh, when a player tests positive? Are there are there any changes that are made um, in the clubhouse? Is there um, any you know tightening of any kind of, of the, the COVID protocols at that point? What happened after that? I think I think when any athlete, but certainly a player of Yohan Mankata's ability and you know his 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 physical fitness, I think it does bring a sense of realism to what it is we're truly dealing with. And I know just from an office standpoint that people kind of were taken back and says, "Oh my God, if this can happen to someone like Yohan Mankata, it can it can really happen to to anybody?" So it's, so so it does bring a realism, brings a level of seriousness. I know that it um, I know I know it helped to tighten things up in in, in the clubhouse. Um, as well as throughout throughout the office, and um, as as we opened the park, you know, even though we didn't have fans, it, you know, you were probably dealing with maybe you know 300 people a day because you have broadcast crews and visiting teams, what have you. And you know, when you're dealing with real cases, um, it, it it does get a little easier to uh, to keep that strictness um, in in and around the building. We certainly saw the same thing with the outbreaks with the, with the Marlins and the Cardinals. I think that that really shook the game up top to bottom. And, um, there were a couple of calls that, uh, Tom doesn't know it. He and I run a couple of the same calls. I was listening in for Mr. Reinsdorf and you could, you could really see how that, um, how that, uh, really brought, brought to focus that, Hey, we really got to get serious about this thing, or we're just not going to get through this, uh, this baseball season. So again, looking for the good coming out of something that was tragic and terrible that, you know, that, that's certainly, you know, I think that, you know, the, the Cardinals outbreak being on top of that Marlins outbreak, that really, you know, whoever wasn't um, woke up at before that certainly was after that. And Tom Ricketts, let's talk about that. I don't know how the, we're going to ask you, how did the Cubs do this? Making it through a 60 game season as the only team with zero positive COVID tests. How did you guys do it? Was, was it any effect of having two coaches prior to the season, both contracting COVID and talking about, you know, how difficult it was for them? And, and how, how did you guys get through it being COVID free? Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of it. We did have a couple of guys test uh, positive before the, you know, before everybody came in for summer camp and, and our, our pitching coach had it, you know, had fairly seri serious symptoms. So uh, nobody took it lightly going in. Uh, I think that was part of it. Everybody decided to, you know, as a team, be very serious about following all the protocols and doing what's right. But as Terry just pointed out, we all got scared straight right away. Um, the Marlins uh, got trapped in a hotel in Philadelphia after a bunch of their guys tested positive. And, um, you know, that, yeah, that was, you know, that was a wake up call. And then the, and the Cardinals right after that. And if, if you would have asked anyone in baseball on August 1st, what are the odds we're going to finish the season? I think people might've said 50, 50. I mean, it just, it, it hit, it hit us so fast. And those, both those teams had so many positive, positive tests so quickly, but, um, but I think the league responded pretty quickly. Um, as Terry knows that, you know, we, 
we tightened up protocols. The, the league um, had people in the hotels where the players were staying to make sure that they weren't you know, going out to get dinner or, or leaving, trying to give a little support to the, uh, to the team staff who was trying to, who were trying to, um, who were trying to make sure that the players were following all the, the safety measures. So, I mean, I, I give our guys a lot of credit. They took it very seriously. Um, it's amazing that nobody caught one case anywhere. Um, and uh, I'm sure we could do it again because it, it seems like it's almost impossible, but, but, uh, you know, I, I put it back on the players for being sincere about following the protocols and the coaches um, and, and following all the league protocols as well. I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to go near a player for the season. Um, I wasn't, a go, I wasn't allowed to go near someone who was allowed to go near a player. So we, we all followed all the way through the system and uh, it worked for us. And obviously we got the season done, which was uh, the goal all along. We'll be back with the sports panel in just a moment, but if you like what you hear and would like to help a nonprofit like Girls in the Game continue their programming, please go to their website, girlsinthegame.org, and make a donation. Year-round programming for girls did not stop because of the pandemic, and their programs were needed more than ever. Thank you. And now, back to the sports panel. We talked about the no fans. You're used to, you know, roaming the stands and talking to the fans. How how difficult was it for you not having fans? I mean, we've heard the players talk about how difficult it has been, but how how difficult was it for you? Well, uh, it was brutal. It was so sad and so empty in Wrigley Field when it's usually just the opposite. Um, the um, you know, obviously the the real the real um, you know, there's a lot of people that were affected by uh, by COVID much more. You know. Uh, sincerely and much more uh much you know much more dangerously and had a lot more problems than we did but but from the baseball standpoint um walking around an empty park was was pretty awful i like to uh i like to talk to people during the games i like to you know go out and see season ticket holders or sponsors or move around and, and, and enjoy the enjoy the crowd as well as the, the ball game and on top of that this was a year where pretty much all the major renovations at Wrigley were done. Uh, we only had a few little things to do. The neighborhood was in great shape. The hotel, everything was all set. The network was ready to launch. Like this was going to be our year where we just like, you know, kind of relaxed and, and, and try to enjoy all the hard work we put in. And instead we ended up with no fans and a no, no, nobody in the neighborhood and, and no games until August. So anyway, it was tough, but, um, but uh, you know, once again, we all got through it. Danny Wirtz, you were in the bubble, right, for, for hockey. Tell me about life in the bubble with all of these hockey teams and player. It, was it like a college again? Everyone's running into each other in the hallway. I mean, what was life in the, the NHL bubble like? It was, uh, I, I don't know what I did to deserve it, but, um, you know, it was definitely three and a half weeks. of. It felt like a college campus, maybe a little <laughs> summer, summer camp. Um, but it was it was actually a really unique experience for me to be able to be with the organization and, and really the only people in the bubble are our are, are teams and just a very small group of personnel. So there's not a lot of extra staff. Um, it was a very isolating experience. I will say, I don't know if you saw pictures of Edmonton, but it was, you saw a lot of chain link fences that kind of directed <laughs> you to the arena or to the hotel. It wasn't a lot of open space, not a lot of space to roam, which, uh, which is a little hard on the psyche, but um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience if you loved hockey too, because there was usually about three games a day. So you could always go pop over and watch a game. 
Um, and it just was this very surreal environment where, you know, everyone, you know, the, the rival teams with their masks and their logos, you know, kind of crossing paths. They could be rivals. They could be old teammates. So you saw a little bit of that camaraderie go on. Um, you know, your, your days were sort of centered around meals, you know, just the team meals. And then, you know, uh, back to the hotel room, thankfully with Zoom, I could carry on with my work day. And then I'd throw a suit on and walk by myself into an empty arena jump up in the sky skybox with with Stan Bowman and, and Al McIsaac and watch games in an empty arena. I mean, it was, I mean, I hope we never have to do that again. It was a unique experience, but um, something I'll never forget. Danny, can you talk about the financial implications of not having fans, uh, not having the games at the United Center? Um, what does that do to the Blackhawks? And, and what are we going to see? Will it affect future uh, signings or, you know, uh, what you're going to be able to do in the next year or two? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really, um, it, it's, it, it's significant. You know, the way our, our business model works is, um, you know, we, we, we make so much of our money and drive our revenue through, you know, gate receipts. So, so tickets, and then of course, sponsorship, and then our TV contract is, is is another component, but unlike other leagues where that's a big piece of, of your financial picture, we really rely on that ticket revenue. So by not having fans, it will be a very challenging financial year. Um, but I will say, you know, um, at the same time, you know, I'm the fourth generation of our family um, in this business and, and we've weathered a lot of storms and this will be a very challenging financial year, but what you don't want to do is sort of, and we will make hard decisions to mitigate that. But at the same time, you know, we've got a brand and we've got an organization that needs to succeed in the future. So we're not going to sacrifice the things we need to do to build a great organization um, for, the, for the sake of this season. So it's a real balance between mitigating through this, you know, really hard, what will be an upcoming season. And then, you know, hopefully looking towards, you know, back to full capacity and back to, you know, big packed arenas someday, um, you know, when we get the vaccine and all the things that come online that allow us to, to get back to our, our more full, fulsome business model. Mm. Michael Alter, the WNBA was in the wobble in a bubble as well. Um, how did that affect, um, you know, financially the Chicago sky? Uh, it was pretty devastating. I, I mean, in two ways, the first one just being, you know, as Danny said, and we all experienced, you know, the lack of uh, fans and the, the loss complete, you know, <laughs> it's one thing to have be down in your in your uh, revenue, but to have no revenue, it, it doesn't get any worse than that. So that that's for starters. And and then you know we're we're obviously being the, the newer, the younger league. Uh, we too don't don't have a big TV contract. We got a um, so um, it was it was it was really tough. And on top of it, the timing, time, you know, Tom said not that there's ever a good time for this, but um, you know we had just signed a historic CBA agreement. Uh, in February, so um, you know, like a month before this all hit, and we were um, made a bunch of investments that were really trying to build some momentum that we were really excited about with the players in terms of things that we were doing. And so this was going to, you know, we were sort of positioning this offer this year to be a, a really kind of a breakthrough season for us. So not only you know is, did we lose the the direct impact of the zero revenue, but also the opportunity to uh, you know to, that we had hoped that we had you know, maybe big investment towards. So, you know, mm. that's the way it is. 
Yeah, that's rough. Terry, um, not only uh, empty uh, guaranteed rate field, but United Center as well with no hockey, no NBA and no concerts. Can you talk about um, just the, I mean, I, 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 we all know how devastating it's been, but um, you know, that's a lot happening and not happening for you guys. Well, um, you know, we're, we're a very busy arena. We're usually the second or third busiest building in North America. And we're fortunate to have a lot of events of various sizes, you know, not only we do well on the music side, we do well on, you know, other college sports and what have you. And to have that all of a sudden just grind to a halt, not even just, not even a gradual slowdown, just, you know, you're to the edge of the cliff and you slam on the brakes and, and all of a sudden, you know, I think we maybe had 35 or 40 concerts in the queue that we had to, yeah, everybody's trying to find other dates and then you're trying to, you know, they're trying to push back right to the edge. They're trying to guess when do they think we're all coming back? How are you refunding money to people? And then you have tours starting to step on top of tours. Now Elton John doesn't want to move his tour right to when Eric Clapton's going to come out and play a couple of shows. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're playing, um, you're playing this big matrix game. It's like 3D chess that you're trying to move all these shows and, and, and all these other events, anticipating what's going to happen with the two sports leagues, what's going to happen with events like the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, all these other big events that we've got. It is, um, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging. The good news is, you know, the, it sounds like most of the entertainment industry is itching to come back. So I think that some of that um, will be displaced as opposed to permanently lost. Um, so, you know, you know, there's, is some good news on down the horizon as, as, as this thing hopefully comes to an end, the vaccine takes, um, takes shape and all the other pieces that have to come together that, you know, there, there's sort of this, this dam holding back some of this business that hopefully will, will, will break free and we'll start to see some of that, um, some of those shows come back fairly quickly. Terry, can you tell us how that might be different for fans? Um, how, what's the stadium experience going to be like, or what do you foresee it as being like, what changes are you preparing for? One, one, one of the, one of the good, you know, one of the, on the good news side of things in Chicago, the bar has always been set pretty high for all of us, at least in Chicago for cleanliness and the manner in which these facilities are run. I mean, everybody on this call, who's, who's part of a facility in, in Chicago and, 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 you know, even some who, who, who may not be. Um, we've always had a pretty high standard. So we're, so we're starting from a good point of cleanliness, sanitation, and, and, and what have you. The experience will certainly be different, of course, in, 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 the, in the short run. Um, I always thought that uh, uh, September 11th of 2001 was going to be my surreal moment in sports. Um, <laughs> as nothing compared to what we're dealing with here. But there's a lot of changes we put in then that, 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 that there was a lot of questions as to whether people would accept. Would fans accept going through metal detectors? Would fans accept the searches? And, and, and they did because they quickly realized that it was important. Um, it was done for their own safety. A lot, a lot of similar things will, will, will happen here. Um, we've done, you know, at the United Center, I think we're almost $3 million of additional renovations for uh, better HVAC systems bringing in 100% outside air, uh, UV lighting on um, this killing um, viruses inside a lot of, lot of the air handling, um, the various testing protocols. I mean, you know, there's, there's an investment there and there's a staff cost there. And we'll, we'll make major investment as will most, most facilities as we slowly begin to uh, w welcome fans back. I think there'll be more, we used to be 
in sports, we used to look for that interaction. We'd want our staff to, you know, less signs because we wanted people to ask our staff, hey, how do I get from point A to point B? How do I get that personal touch in a concession stand? And some of that's going to change a little bit. So with the use of technology, with the simple use of signs, we're going through a huge sign program in the United Center at this moment um, in preparation for the start of the NBA. And, you know, of course, we're one of 10 buildings that has to be able to take those signs down so I can put NHL signs up, hopefully, <laughs> for the next night. Um, but the, the, those are all things that people are going to see. It's going to be a little bit more of a, um, you know, some of the processes certainly initially are going to be a little bit more self-contained rather than the, hey, find six people that can help lead you from, you know, the various points of the building. Someone's going to have to be a little bit more autonomous. But we've got we've got some pretty good ways, some some pretty new technology that we've tried. Um, we'll be rolling out um, some things in the next uh, couple of weeks as we get closer to a Bulls preseason um, and then the eventual home opener. Um, um, some things um, that, you know, people will see when, when we eventually get to fans. Um, as you, you know, you, you probably all know, we won't be starting the season with fans, um, but hopefully we'll get there. And um, these pieces we're putting into place will, um, will, will help the people not only be safe, but, 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 but to feel safe. Starting the season without fans, but Tom Ricketts, um, Commissioner Rob Manfred had already said that no fans in 2021 just is not an option for Major League Baseball. And he vowed that the league would be more aggressive about hosting fans next year. Can you give us any insight as to, you know, the reasoning behind that, the, the feelings behind that, and maybe what we're expecting next year? Yeah, I think that for, uh, I mean, for baseball, I mean, we were trying to start the season when people were still getting their head around what this all meant, what the pandemic meant, what, you know, what, what were good protocols, what were, what were the safest things you could do. Now we've got a little more experience. Uh, we've watched the NFL have partial crowds. I'm sure we'll watch the NBA and NHL have partial crowds. So the, um, or even full crowds by the end, who knows, maybe we'll get lucky, but but uh, I think that the commissioners at this point is, is more along the lines of let's let the local jurisdictions determine what kind of flexibility the teams have to bring fans into the ballpark. And, and hopefully between, you know, vaccines and treatments and testing and, and other types of, um, you, know, uh, you know, sanitation or, or safety protocols, we'll get people back in the park relatively soon and, and make them all comfortable because uh, ultimately, as everybody on this call knows, without the fans, we're don't have a lot to work with. Uh, Jen, I want to get you in just a second, but I do have a question from one of our viewers um, that has asked about um, losing any sponsors um, due to the pandemic. Um, have all of yours for, I would say for Danny and for Tom and for Michael, um, Terry, I don't know if you can talk to that or not. Jen, I know you cannot, but um, ha have you taken a hit from sponsorships as well? Danny, I'll start with you. Well, you know, actually, we've been we've had great, you know, uh, loyal partners that stuck with us, but it's really more of a reallocation of of where those those sponsor assets go. So what used to be really in arena is now more virtual. So it just helps reinforce all the things we do from a content standpoint and a, and a digital standpoint. So you have to create new assets. And, and I think our partners have been very, um, you know, flexible to try to find new ways to sort of use that value as opposed to pulling out completely. So that's been a real, you know, positive piece of this whole, uh, you know, pandemic is getting those partners to really think differently about how they execute their brand through our, our world. Tom, I see you shaking your head. Has it been similar for you with your sponsors? 
Yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's actually been a great experience with our sponsors. One of the things that we did a few years ago was really focus on fewer, larger, longer term sponsorship relationships, longer term partners. And, um, and when you have that kind of perspective and you have people that are committed to a longer term deal, this is the kind of thing that uh, you can get through a little more quickly. Um, you know, whether it's Wintrust or Gallagher or any of the great firms that we partner with, they've all been pretty, pretty um, understanding. But as Danny pointed out, you got to swap out a few things. You know, we gave, you know, we couldn't, we didn't have people in the ballpark. So in park signage wasn't great. Although we put some, you know, put some things in the outfield so they could get TV exposure. Um, you know, we'd give, give some of our partners a, a rooftop to use for the summer so they could at least bring some small numbers of people to games to watch from across the street. So we, you know, we tried to replace, we tried to replace what was in their contract with things that were valuable to them. And then, um, and some of them just, you know, took the year off and extended to, you know, added a year to the back end of their contract, which was um, also a nice compromise for everybody. So uh, I think um, a, a great tribute to, to our, uh, to our partnership team or that, uh, that, that we were able to work through, um, you know, keeping great relationships with pretty much all of our partners. Michael, getting creative with your sponsorships as well. Yeah, exactly the same. We, you know, we have wonderful uh, partners, our, our bit larger partners, and it, it really, you know, kind of demonstrated what, what a partnership really is because we had to sit down together and say, okay, here's the reality. Here's what we can do, which we told you we were going to do under our contract, but here's what we can do, what's important to you, and, and working with them to, to figure out um, um, you know, how to get them the value that they're looking for. And if we couldn't get 100% of it this year, then, you know, as Tom said, we would try to, um, but we were able to put it into next year or the following years and make sure that they, they catch up on that down the road. So we're very, very fortunate. And, um, you know, so we did have some decreases in sponsorship, but we didn't lose any sponsorship. Jen, I want to ask you as a new mother, we um, are, I don't know how you are doing this job, um, having a, a newborn, a baby at home and being around um players and traveling. And um, I guess the question is, uh, is it scary for you to be around this and um, come home each night knowing that you have a child at home? And what have you learned that you've brought home as tips to do at home that maybe all of us can kind of uh, steal from you? Sure. So so I'm a dietitian by trade and, and a physiologist by trade. So when, when the virus was first coming out and, and as part of my job for keeping our team healthy, I was just trying to research as much as I could around, you know, um, how could we just stay health, healthy and safe? And then obviously as a new mom, that was an additional concern. Um, during the initial phase of quarantine, a, a very, very good friend of mine who's a physician's assistant, he actually was, uh, he's in the military and he was called down to New York to actually work in the front lines. Um, and was basically working in pulmonary medicine with COVID patients for three months straight, uh, came back and he said, you know, none of us got it. And, and he said, we were just really strict about wearing our PPA, PPE, washing our hands. And he said, by all accounts, we should have all, you know, this, this group of military personnel should have been sick. And, and they basically, you know, followed protocol and, and were safe. And so that gave me a lot of, um, that gave me a lot of confidence that that if you do the right thing, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance, um, keep your body healthy, then then you'll be fine. Um, interestingly enough, I've been doing a lot of reading about the research that's going on in um, 
in, in actually um, breast milk and, and protecting the baby um, if you do have COVID as the mother. And there's actually a, a few trials going on around the, around the country uh, where they're finding that um, if a mother does have um, COVID and is, and is breastfeeding, then that breast milk actually has antibodies that get transferred to the baby to protect the baby from COVID. Wow. And they're actually, um, they're actually doing a, well, quite a few large scale studies around the country where they're asking breastfeeding moms who's had COVID to, to donate some milk because they're finding that the antibodies in breast milk are actually some of the strongest antibodies, stronger than, than, than even the ones that we found in your blood because they actually have to pass through the digestive tract in the body to get to the baby. And so, um, so for me, I, I feel like, you know, my body will actually take care of my baby, <laughs> which is really amazing and fascinating. Um, and actually having a, a, a few friends that have had it with newborns at home, um, and, and their babies have actually been fine and, and actually didn't get, get COVID. So, um, I'm having a lot of faith in science and I'm having a lot of faith in, in, in some of that biology protecting my, my child. Um, but I really do have a lot of faith in just, in just, you know, being diligent with, with, with wearing masks and, and, and keeping our distance in our facility. Um, you know, we're really, um, we're trying to, to get a hold of, of, of trying to promote the, uh, the notion to our players that, you know, once you get COVID your body, your body has something called an immune system and that immune system is going to be what helps you fight it. And so we all are going to fight COVID the same way with our immune systems. And so what can we do to make sure that our immune systems are optimized? And that's something that we talk to our, our players about on a daily basis. And that includes your diet as a core um, tenant of, of your health. So we're really pushing a lot of, of you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. Those are the highest in micronutrients that are going to help them keep healthy really pushing hydration. We're pushing a lot of probiotics because we know those are, are healthy um, for your gut, which also helps your immune system. And we're looking at, you know, some of the most recent research that's coming out around looking at um, daily um, supplements with vitamin C, D, and zinc um, as a way to uh, maintain your immune health. Um, you know, and, and interestingly enough, vitamins D, vitamin D is getting some press um, recently and basically what we did know is people who are deficient in vitamin D, it can affect your, your immune system health. And us being where we are in Chicago, a lot of people in the winter months um, can become vitamin D deficient just because we're not getting sunlight. So something as simple as just having, you know, a regular um, talking to your doctor about the right dose, of course, because that's individualized. Um, a regular dose of vitamin D um, can help keep your, again, your immune system in top shape. So in the event that you do contract the virus, you can fight it as best you can. So for me, it's been really interesting as a physiologist and as a dietitian, I've, I've been trying to keep track of all the research and just staying kind of in that, in the facts and, and just trusting the fact that, you know, I have an immune system that will fight this. Obviously you hope you hope for the best. Um, and knowing from being a new mom that, that there is a bit of protectiveness that's really fascinating um, that my body can provide for my baby. And we know that uh, you guys are living it right now on a daily basis and in the midst of the NFL season. So um, it's just so important to, to have the facts behind you. Um, speaking of facts, Danny, we don't know what's going on next season yet, do we? I mean, there's so much talk going on. Uh, are, is the NHL season going to start? Is it going to be a truncated season again? I think the borders are still closed. Um, 
I hear the Red Wings might be coming back to the Norris division. <laughs> what What's our update for next year, which is coming up very quickly for the Blackhawks? I will say when, when this was on the calendar, I was like, well, I, I hope we have some news to, to share. But unfortunately, the answer is we still don't know. And uh, obviously, a lot of things have to be sorted out. The, the, the border issue, for sure. Uh, the structure of how the, the, the game would be games would be played. We've got obviously some time constraints in terms of how to get a season in. So there's a lot of factors and all of this has to be done obviously in partnership with the players. So um, unfortunately I have no more news to share today. And um, you know, we're hopeful in the next couple of weeks to get some direction and, and be able to get the season started. You know uh, the target still is January 1st. So, but we are, you know, time is ticking. Terry, uh, some some good news we saw when baseball schedule came out that um, the Field of Dreams game is back on the schedule. So that's that's good for the White Sox. Um, what else can we look forward to besides the young team that you guys have on the field? Um, what should we be looking forward to with the baseball season coming up? Well, as as Tom said, I think we're all hoping that by the time you know we're outdoors again. Um, in the spring with all the other pieces that we think are going to be falling into place as we as we fight this uh, fight the pandemic we're hoping that as fans will come back into the ballpark that's going to add a level of excitement that we all certainly uh, I don't think you realize how much you miss it until it's gone but you know when you know you know you had you had two playoff teams in Chicago last year I mean that's about as much fun as you can have in, in in a baseball season right but a little bit was taken away because you didn't have that fan that fan excitement so um, I think that's going to you know, certainly add a level of, um, of uh, uh, you know, something that people want to see when, when people come back. Um, from a baseball standpoint, you know, we're, we're going from an old school manager to a, to a young team. That's going to be something that, um, that, I, that I've never seen in my career. So I'm looking forward to, looking forward to that, as, as, that as well. So I was first hired by the White Sox. Tony was the manager. So I'm, kind of, I'm going in and, and probably going out with, uh, with Tony LaRusso. So. Hey, you stick around long enough, everything comes back full That's circle, exactly right? right? It all does. It's all does, right? Hey, Tom, uh, Danny was. We were joking about um, the the Red Wings coming back to the old Norris Division, possibly. You know, I don't think a lot of fans would complain if it was the Cubs and the Sox uh, playing each other more often, as we saw. People really liked it. What do you think we'll see in changes in baseball in, in maybe this coming year, and maybe in the near future? You know, the, I don't think there'll be any, uh, I don't, I'm not aware of any realignment talks for this summer yet. I think there's still a long, long way to go before we can start making those kind of decisions. Well, there has been like realignment discussions of baseball over the years about shuffling things around to play your, to play your local rivals more often. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. But um, for the time being, I don't think that's a big issue. I think for us, um, the real question is, you know, you know, what's the right timing? You know, we want to, I think we want to play the full season, maybe almost all the season, but maybe do we start spring training a little late by ourselves, a little time, let the vaccines uh, get more developed, you know, let some of the treatment methods get more developed or whatever. Like, uh, I think that'll be the big discussion between the league and the, and the players. Could we start a little late, you know, maybe start first day of, you know, spring training is in middle of March or end of March and we play May 1st as our first game or something like that. That might be something that we look at just because, I just kind of feel like, and I think a lot of people feel like the more time we have to get people comfortable going back into the ballpark, the better. 
You know, one thing that we haven't talked about is how much you guys, each of the teams have been affected by, you didn't have minor league baseball last year. So the, the development of your young players and, and putting your roster together has been severely affected without having a minor leagues. Can you address that? Well, I mean, there was, there was a handful of players that we got to take to a, a facility to be replacement players for the guys that were, were able to, they were going to catch COVID. So there was like a, a small group of guys who got like hyper training all, uh, all last summer with all the coaches and all the technology and everything. Um, but most of the guys sat home and, um, you know, I think that uh, it's really hard to say just yet. I know there's, there's um, the league is working on realigning minor leagues in general. And the information on that should be out pretty soon. So we're redoing kind of the, the minor league system. But whether or not the, those teams will be able to play is, um, you know, still to be determined. And, you know, not only by what, what happens with, uh, with, with vaccines and whatnot, but what happens in each local jurisdiction. So it's still, it's still pretty up in the air what's going to happen with uh, all of our developing players. Michael, how do you prepare for a WNBA draft when college basketball was cut short, uh, even though they're playing now. And that has had to really had an effect on the WNBA. Well, we'll see. I mean, our draft is until April. So I think it all depends on how much basketball they, they get in this year. Um, you know, our season doesn't start till May. So we have, we have some time. We, we have the additional complexity in terms of figuring out schedule with the Olympics because all our the USA Olympic team is all WNBA players and that's supposed to be coming in July, August. And, um, you know, that's usually schedule around that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you want to say it's pessimistic, but you know, all the experts I've talked to, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think there's maybe a 50, 50 chance the Olympics is going to happen um, this year. And, you know, I don't see there any way we're going to be back to, normal in the WNBA playing a full season in arena with fans and all that, maybe, you know, you know, we're not outside. So maybe some partial fans, but um, so we're just starting that those conversations. Now, unfortunately have a little more time. Uh, My own view is I'd like to see us do something maybe along the lines with baseball did more of a regional hub kind of a system where there's limited travel. Um, You know, we kind of do it around one or maybe three or four arenas or something. And just pool um, revenue and whatnot, but yeah, a lot to be determined. Still, we have a little more time than than some of these other guys. Danny, so many of the you know, we're talking about college programs and and minor league programs, but youth programs, youth hockey was put on on ice for uh, months at a time. Um, that's a big deal for sports that really rely on the pipeline of their youth programs and the Blackhawks in particular, you guys have your own arena for the youth programs. Can you talk about how it has really affected the youth programs in hockey? Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. With, with sort of limiting the ability to, to, to play games, you know, certain teams can just practice and then you have, you know, different teams having to leave the state to, to continue their competitive play. So all throughout the ranks of, of youth hockey, you've seen a real shutdown and it affects all the community rinks. Thankfully, you know, uh, the fifth third arena can weather some of the storms through some of the other things we do, but for every community rink that relies on those programs to exist, you know, it's, it's pretty devastating. So, and a lot of kids and a lot of parents who are obviously very dedicated to hockey throughout the ranks, you know, really disappointed this, this year and not having that, 
that experience. But we've been able to keep the Fifth Third Arena kind of going up until uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, with as many community programs, you know, at least we could do social distance, you know, free skating. So we did, you know, skate and, and, uh, and study programs for after school. Um, we did a safe Halloween event there that was, again, a socially distanced kind of skating party. But again, those are just things to sort of just to keep the energy going in these facilities while the sport is, no pun intended, on ice. Right. Well, we are just about out of time. If I can quickly uh, ask each of you for some final thoughts. Again, uh, you all have been wonderful partners to Girls in the Game. And um, we, too, rely on keeping our girls active during this pandemic. So thank you. Um, If I could just ask you for some final thoughts and then we can wrap it up. And Terry, I'll start with you. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to keep working hard. We're going to try to stay flexible. We're going to share information not only amongst the teams in the league, but all the other um, all the other teams um, around us. And hopefully, together, we're going to figure this thing out. Jen Gibson. Yeah, it should be a really interesting next uh, couple of weeks for the NFL. Just uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday passing and then the next couple of weeks um, kind of upon us. So what we become really good at uh, is just adapting on the fly to the changes that are, 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 are inevitable. So we're just looking forward to, you know, adapting and, and just bearing down in the next few weeks. Michael Alter. Uh, you know, this is going to pass. Uh, uh, we may not know exactly when it's going to happen. Uh, as I said, I'm maybe a little more on the, uh, longer rather than sooner. I'm thinking next fall is when we're going to, the vaccine will be out there enough. Uh, we'll be getting back to normal. So in the meantime, you know, we're all going to be um, trying to figure things out on the fly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not just the sports teams, but like you said, you know, our nonprofits are doing important work like Girls in the Game and businesses and everybody, you know, across the way. And um, so we just got to tough it out and keep uh doing what Jen said and stick to those protocols and help each other out and um, you know, pull, pull, pull each other through. Tom Ricketts, final thoughts? Well, I think, uh, you know, the timing of the pandemic was extremely bad for baseball last year. It actually is working out a little bit in our favor as we don't have to make our hard decisions till after the other, other major leagues, uh, you know, other, other leagues uh, do their season. So I think if we buy some time, We'll, um, we'll end up with having something that works. And we're just really fortunate. We just went through season ticket holder renewals and, and we're just really fortunate. We have so many fans that are uh, understanding and willing to uh, renew their season tickets, not knowing when the season will begin. And um, that's very encouraging for us. Cause I just feel like once, uh, once everyone's allowed to go back to any of our venues for whether it's a game or a concert or anything, people, um, people really want to get back to what their lives were like before. And, um, and let's hope we can make it a safe enough environment for them as soon as possible and let them, let them get on back and let's get back to, let's get back to being ourselves again. So, but I'm optimistic this summer will happen for us. And Danny Wirtz, final thoughts. Thank you. So, you know, I think just one thing I learned was just the role we all play through our organizations in, in, in the community. And especially when a city and a country and a world is going through this kind of collective crisis you know, that's when people bond together, right? You know, whether it's the teams amongst ourselves, whether it's the community organizations like yours that we work with, 
um, and just or with fans, right? And I think, you know, sports always, you know, hope is sort of the thing that drives all sports fans, right? The hope for a better season, the hope for a winning team. And so I think it's that that I think fuels our optimism for next season, whatever it might look like. It might not be what we want it to be, but I think as long as we're playing and as long as our sports are active and our athletes are engaged and our teams are engaged in the community, I think we, we create a lot of hope for the city. So that's with that, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that it'll be a better year in 2021. And I think 2022 might be even better than that. And I think we're all hopeful for that too. Danny Wirtz of the Blackhawks, Jen Gibson from the Chicago Bears, Tom Ricketts, the Chicago Cubs, Michael Alter, the Chicago Sky, and Terry Severis from the Chicago White Sox and the United Center. Thank you all for being such wonderful partners to Girls in the Game. Thank you for spending so much of your time with us tonight. We appreciate it. And thank you to all of you who tuned in, as well as our sponsor, Electroflex. Thank you for helping us continue our programs for Girls in the Game. Be safe out there, everybody. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great night. Really great to hear some big names in Chicago sports talking about what it was like to put their games on and what we might be able to expect in 2021. So let's make this quick, Jason. You have one prediction for the new year. Sports related or non-sports related? Whatever you want. Okay, I'm going to say then 2021 COVID is going to go away. The vaccine so far looks very, very promising. Um, I know my school, UT Austin, plans on getting all of us vaccinated by the end of the semester. I hope that uh, many other schools in the country follow suit. And by the time we are halfway through 2021, I'm going to predict that COVID will be, for the most part, behind us. And we'll be able to proceed as we have all hoped and prayed and promised for most of 2020 to proceed with our normal lives midway through next year. My only final thought is that this past year really made us feel some emotion. Some of it was raw. Sometimes we were worried, sometimes scared, sometimes very sad, and sometimes just more protective of our loved ones. We did cut back. We scaled down, but yet we still found ways to have fun, to laugh, and to enjoy our friends and our loved ones. I do have some uh, deep sincere sadness at some of our friends that we did lose to COVID this year and our hearts go out to them and their families for that. Cheers to 2020 being over and a new year in 2021. Our thanks again go out to Adam Yoffe for his expertise and making us sound so good. We are in the teens of 13, 14,000 downloads, and who would have thought we could do this a year and a half ago? Adam, thank you for all of your help and your work this past year. Thank you to Girls in the Game for the usage of the Sports in a Pandemic panel. Thank you to Jen Gibson and the Chicago Bears, Tom Ricketts and the Chicago Cubs, Danny Wirtz and the Chicago Blackhawks, Terry Savarese and the Chicago White Sox, and Michael Alter and the Chicago Sky. Check us out on the Barroom Network, found on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, as well as the Barroom Network on YouTube. Thank y'all for listening to us all throughout the year. 2021 has a lot in store for everyone, but I'm very confident that we're going to continue to grow the podcast and continue to produce exciting and interesting content. Happy New Year, everyone. So long.